Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is Thursday, January 11th. This is what we're going to call kind of an earlier morning quick episode where I just wanted to cover two things that I wanted to talk about yesterday, but the debate and time and I was tired and the snowstorm and I had to go to bed a bit earlier to get up to clear off the car. It's always nice when you get home and it's not sticking, so you take a hot shower, get comfortable, spend two hours watching a bleak debate, wish you did the drinking game for it, and then record a podcast about it, and then just question yourself after that, and then have to get up in the morning and, you know, clear off everything. And it's, It was quite cold this morning, by the way. Not, not exactly the hottest morning I've seen in a while. But anyways, what I want to talk about later is basically how Trump's legal team is going to the extremes on the whole presidential immunity idea and how I think it's very dangerous based on the hypothetical scenarios they believe it could apply to. Basically, a lot of people are saying this is the I could shoot anyone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it speech that Trump gave to the nth degree. And it's 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 pretty troubling. But first, I want to talk about Taylor Swift. I haven't talked about her in a while, but I, I have covered... I guess it was probably, I want to say back in September, maybe October, the right was pissed at her because she got hundreds of thousands of millennials and Gen Zers to register to vote. And Republicans were mad because she's become an advocate for the Democratic side. And I think part of the dilemma is that she was in her younger era, (laughs) no pun intended, She was a country singer and very popular, I think, more with country, maybe right-leaning audiences. And in her later eras, again, no pun intended, she has become more of a pop star and a global, global phenomenon. And she's become more liberal with her views, especially after Trump was elected. And there was a good piece I remember reading in the, in the episode I did this back in September that she tried to be quiet about her political views, even through the Obama era. But by 2020, she just came out and said, you guys need to vote for Biden because Trump is crazy. So maybe the conservatives should look at why stars like her are so against them instead of calling her out for it. But either way, you had some of the, the worst people like Charlie Kirk calling her ugly and disgusting and attacking her looks and just being sexist pigs and it's it's all just a bummer. Even some people were saying she's a gold digger for dating Travis Kelsey. Not to diss Travis Kelsey, but I would bet a lot of money that she's worth more than him. So anyways, the reason I bring her up again is because, well, there's a new conspiracy where Jesse Waters on Fox News, who took over Tucker Carlson's spot, I think he is atrocious. He basically is peddling the idea that she's a PSYOP and that the Pentagon and the White House and the CIA got to her and are using her as kind of a soft power political strategy to get people to vote because Biden can't do it. And there's basically been a lot of conspiracy theories for a while now about how Taylor Swift is a government asset of one of these broader, you know, PSYOP campaigns, which is insane. But... The Pentagon is calling this a conspiracy theory and calling it crazy and shutting down speculation. But before I give you my thoughts, I'm going to play a little bit of this Jesse Waters clip because I just want to show some of the points he brings up and kind of how he tries to argue a point 
at one moment during this segment, he even says, we don't have any information to prove this. It's like, bro, then why are you doing a long segment on this? But anyways, bear with it. It's about three minutes. I, I speak a few times in it, but I just want to play this because it shows, again, there are so many issues in the world. Jesse Waters has the primetime show on Fox, and this is what he is doing. He, he's going into the Tucker Carlson stuff, but it, arguably even just more speculative and chaotic and dumb. So let's talk more on the other side. It's the biggest star in the world. Sorry, Gutfeld. She's been blanketed across the sports media entertainment atmosphere. The New York Times just speculated she's a lesbian. And last year's tour broke Ticketmaster. A tour that's revenue tops the GDP of 50 countries. I mean, I like her music, she's all right, but I mean, have you ever wondered why or how she blew up like this? Well, around four years ago, the Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated turning Taylor Swift into an asset during a NATO meeting. What kind of asset? A PSYOP for combating online misinformation. Listen. You came in here wanting to understand how you just go out there and counter an information operation. Well, the idea is that social influence can help uh, can help uh, encourage or uh, promote behavior change, so potentially as like a peaceful information operation. I include Taylor Swift in here because she's, um, you know, she's a fairly influential online person. I don't know if you've heard of her. Yeah, that's real. The Pentagon PSYOP unit pitched NATO on turning Taylor Swift into an asset for combating misinformation online. This is nothing new. In the 1950s, the government strong-armed Louis Armstrong into doing propaganda tours across Africa. The CIA did the same thing with jazz singer Nina Simone, except they did it without her really knowing. In the 70s, Nixon enlisted Elvis in his war on drugs. He gave the king a badge and named him a co- By the way, <clears throat> excuse me, Elvis never actually toured outside of the United States. So, not much of a psyop. Federal law enforcement agent, Michael Jackson was tapped by Reagan using his song Beat It and his public service campaigns against teen drinking and driving. Michael Jackson persuading minors not to drink. Anyway, so is Swift a front for a covert political agenda? Primetime obviously has no evidence. If we did, we'd share it. But we're... That, that is the most Jesse Waters line of all time. We have no evidence, but we're going to spend a whole monologue, or whatever this is, talking about it, of course. Serious? Because the pop star who endorsed Biden is urging millions of her followers to vote. She's sharing links. And her boyfriend, Travis Kelty, sponsored by Pfizer. And their relationships boosted the NFL ratings this season, bringing in a whole new demographic. So how's the PSYOP going? Well, as usual, Biden's not calling the shots because he doesn't even know who Taylor Swift is. I am sure he knows who Taylor Swift is. Just saying. He's confused her with Britney Spears and Beyonce. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or, or, or Britney's tour. She's down in, it's kind of warm in Brazil right now. Former FBI agent Stuart Kaplan joins us now. Stuart, is this feasible? Jesse, the deployment of a PSYOP in the United States in this day and age is still illegal. Um, the national security law prohibits the deployment of PSYOPs or using an operative for psychological warfare. However, if I was running Biden's management perception team, 
I would management perception team. Love it. Identify someone who would align themselves with my agenda, such as a Taylor Swift who has close to 600 million followers. I would target her. I would engage her and I would get her what get her to do what we used to see as like public service announcements and that type of enlistment, that type of solicitation is analogous to the old days of deployment of a PSYOP. Yes. So there's that fun thing. And I wish I mentioned it at the beginning, but I don't know why Waters starts off by saying there's a report that Taylor Swift's a lesbian. Completely unimportant and not at all related to this. Also, who cares? That just doesn't matter. But also, I don't think that's really the case because, (laughs) not to rant about Taylor Swift, but she kind of has a track record of dating guys and then writing songs about them. Kind of an odd move if you're apparently a lesbian. But anyways, that is out of my expertise, so I'm going to tread lightly on that one and move on. But anyways, look, there is interesting reporting. For example, there's a song called Wind of Change by the Scorpions, and they are or were, I don't know if they're still together, but they're a West German band that really came to prevalence kind of towards the twilight of the Cold War. And Crooked Media, which runs Pod Save America and Pod Save the World, they had a sister podcast called Winds of Change, I believe it was called. I remember listening to it during my garden half marathons when we were locked down in Madrid. And basically it does talk about how songs like Wind of Change were kind of used to go into East Germany and try to use soft power and culture to show countries under the Iron Curtain, the beauty of Western music and art. And so there are examples in history of artists and art being used to try to get inside of authoritarian regimes to show people the beauty of openness and the, and the beauty of liberalism and the beauty of the ability to share your values and just exploit your passions. And this is not that case. <laughs> because Okay, so this Kaplan guy, what, what was his name? I wrote it down here. I, I have it in front of me, sorry. Stuart Kaplan, this former FBI agent who's speculating with Jesse. I looked him up. There's no Wiki- Wikipedia page on him or anything, but he does run a law investigative firm out of Palm Beach, Florida. Big surprise. From the small comments and articles I read, and again, this is not particularly provable, sounds like he was a bad FBI agent, and now he's kind of a private investigator who's a regular on Fox News and other conspiratorial channels. So not a guy I would particularly trust. But I think Occam's razor here, which I usually like to use on some of these types of discussions, Occam's razor would just tell me that Taylor Swift is a millennial who doesn't like what the Republican Party's become. Her listeners are mainly young progressives and millennials. And of course, there are some, you know, conservatives that like her music. Of course there are. But she doesn't like what's going on. And she has a platform and she's speaking out and a lot of people follow her. Her shows were huge, arguably did well for small economies, helped boost economies, bring in tourism to cities around the country. Like she's a phenomenon. So when you're a cultural icon, it would be the same if like Justin Bieber came out and said, vote blue back in his like peak moment, people would listen. Like, 
again, Occam's Razor just tells me she's big, she's talented, and people love her. So if she tells people to vote and shares a link on how to register to vote, people are going to do it. It's, it's really not more complicated than that to me. It's just like, stop like... <laughs> Stop putting up one of those boards on the wall with all the strings where you're trying to just find unrelated events and say it's some conspiracy. And I do like how the Pentagon responded. The Hill writes here in quotes, Pentagon spokesperson Sabrina Singh shut down the speculation in a statement to Politico. She said in quotes here, as for this conspiracy theory, we are going to shake it off. She continues, but that doesn't highlight that we still need Congress to approve our supplemental budget request as swiftly as possible so we can be out of the woods with potential fiscal concerns. I like that because she's basically saying, you guys are so worried about this, but we might have another government congressional shutdown coming. We also have wars going on. Like, Jesse, what the hell are you doing? And also, this is just the Fox News model is they seem to look at what's being talked about online. What are the, what's the red meat they can throw to their base? They find small, small, small sound bites, put them together, bring on a disgruntled FBI guy who is kind of conspiratorial, even openly say they have no evidence, but it's only for entertainment. So then if they get sued for defamation or whatever, then they just say, well, this is an entertainment show. This is not the news, even though there's always like breaking news headlines when they're talking about it. And the idea of Fox News, news is literally in the name. So pe- some people are going to believe it. You know what I mean? But Guys, this is does not smell like a psyops to me. I don't even know why I'm covering this, but it's just because I've seen it pop up on X or Twitter or whatever we're going to call it, and I've seen it on social media, and you know there's someone probably in your life who believes it, so there's my little rant on that. And I think this also highlights a bigger trend that is more about the Republican tactics going forward, is that they they do not have popular support. This is a party that knows they can't try to grow support amongst a lot of the younger generations. So I guess anytime you see a celebrity or someone coming out and helping gain support for the Democratic Party, they're going to call it fraud because in a sense they have a reaction to the idea, a negative reaction to the idea that they are losing popular support. And you see this through a lot of the illiberal policies that we would see, I think, in a Trump 2024 second administration. It's like if you can't win the popular vote, you have to find an, uh, uh, like other ways to convince the public that you're the right party. And Viktor Orban in Hungary has done this quite effectively. And of course, I rant about him a lot. I have a lot of podcasts on him, so we will move on. But go back and listen to some of my podcasts on Hungary because I talk about that quite a lot and how the Republicans are kind of following his illiberal model. Anyways, for the rest of this episode before we're out of here... I wanted to talk about how Trump's legal team, and of course Donald Trump himself, are taking the idea of the president being immune to prosecution to an extreme. And I would argue it's actually kind of a logical extreme based on other Republican politicians that have retconned history and greenlit his actions, and also just his comments that have slowly gotten worse, darker talks of retribution, all stuff I've covered before. But it all started, what was it, in 2016, when he basically joked tongue-in-cheek here that he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and he wouldn't lose any voters. He said it's, like, incredible. (laughs) But it's kind of the, excuse me, this is kind of the logical extreme of that or an extension of that. Let me explain. So David Graham in The Atlantic writes here in quotes, 
Yesterday, in a federal court in Washington, D.C., with Trump present, his attorneys offered perhaps the boldest assertion of power that any major American candidate has ever made. Graham continues, In a hearing before the D.C. Circuit Court, the former president's lawyers argued that he should be immune from criminal prosecution for his role in the attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election. From my understanding, what the argument is, is that the president is above the law. Later, I will get into different Justice Department memos, constitutional discussions about this that the founders had. But basically, they are, they are practically arguing that he can't be criminally prosecuted unless he's first impeached and convicted by Congress. And it's a tough one because I think in theory, when the founders actually wrote the Constitution and created our systems, they had the assumption, naive it may be, that if the president did something to threaten the union or something clearly blatant and violent and illegal, he would be impeached. And I think in a lot of different times in history, that would be the case. I mean, even Richard Nixon resigned because it looked like he was going to not just be impeached, but also convicted in the Senate. But anyways, Judge Florence Pan is the guy that was overseeing this D.C. Circuit Court case. And Trump has a lawyer, John Sewer, Sewer, Sauer. And anyways, the judge, Florence Pan, asked Sewer, in quotes here, if a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival could be criminally prosecuted. And I listened to the clip. I wasn't able to find it. I was listening to it on the radio. But basically, Seward went back and forth and tried to get himself out of this, but rhetorically locked himself into a pretzel, twisted himself into a pretzel, sorry. And he ultimately ended up saying something to the effect of the president couldn't be prosecuted unless he was impeached and then convicted and then kicked out. And obviously we saw, I mean, I mean to me, just, just a little side diatribe for a second. It's kind of an insane point to make because it's clear that Trump's actions one way or another probably should have led to him being convicted and kicked out. But partisanship literally corrupted all of it from the beginning. And partisanship has led to this situation where there was no way Trump was going to be convicted. Like Mitt Romney, one of the one of the only people against Trump in the Senate, I think the only person against Trump in the Senate, his political career has just died. A slow, poisoned death, but it's died. And I just, I just think there's a naivety to what the founders really thought. I think they just had a higher hope of Congress's ability to get someone like this out of office. But I think, <laughs> I think our founders would be very appalled to see what's going on right now. So it's always ironic when like Vivek Ramaswamy calls himself the new Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson would be literally appalled. But anyways, it seems like, I mean, Graham in his Atlantic article, back to it for a second, he, re he really thinks that all of this is kind of a logical, scary extension of the Fifth Avenue scenario where Trump could kind of pretty much kill someone and he wouldn't lose any support. And symbolically, we've kind of seen that happen. Like Trump hasn't directly killed someone, arguably. And he's, he's really just gained support. And it's a really telling sign of the rot that we're seeing right now. But Graham writes later in the article, in quotes here, in effect, Trump has realized that just as none of his voters would desert him over murdering a man on Fifth Avenue... Nothing he could do 
would be so bad that congressional Republicans would abandon him. He doesn't need a majority either. And, and, and as I alluded to a few minutes ago, basically <laughs> all you need is some Republicans to not vote to convict him, as we've seen happen twice now. And I guess Trump's innocent. Like, it's kind of an insane idea that you leave. I mean, look, January 6th is, is different because you still have to prove intent with Trump. You have to literally prove that he had the intention for the people to go in and storm the Capitol and disrupt it and hang Mike Pence and get him back into power, whatever you want to say about that. And I, I, th I think most of us think he did have the intent to do that. But in a, in a, in a court, in, a, in, a, in our justice system, intent is difficult. But at the same time, n now let's play the hypothetical that Trump orders SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival and there's documentation of it. Are we literally just going to leave it up to a certain number of Republicans that are allies of his to block a conviction and then say Trump's innocent? I just, I just think that's a very dangerous, dangerous and slippery slope to go down because, of course, Trump would use this now, but what does that mean just for the rule of law and for the sanctity of our institutions going forward? I would directly argue, just either way, not good. Now, getting to the idea of the so-called presidents above the law, the president can't be prosecuted, he has to be impeached, basically this goes back to Watergate. And I should start by saying this isn't actually something etched in stone by any means. It all stems from basically an internal memo that was put out by the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel. And this was in 1973 during the Watergate scandal, obviously involving Richard Nixon. And basically, this memo at the time had a position that the president cannot be indicted. Of course, in this case, we have to remember that Nixon was gone a year later. He resigned because House Republicans were actually fine with moving toward impeaching him. And I think Nixon saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> Sometimes I just, I just stare into the oblivion and go, God, that must have been... Like, Watergate was such a damning moment for the country and such a telling moment for the country. And right now it seems like a milquetoast example of corruption and political deceit. Because Nixon steps down, it looks like his party was turning on him. <laughs> it's just wild to me. But the interesting thing, though, is, too, that the Justice, Depart Justice Department sorry, did, or did double down on this policy in 2000. And according to Reuters, they said in quotes here, court decisions in the intervening years had not changed their conclusion that a, sitting that a sitting president is, in quotes, constitutionally immune from indictment and criminal prosecution. And basically, the Justice Department in 2000 argued that criminal charges, say against a president, would, in quotes, violate the constitutional separation of powers. And Reuters kind of backs this up because it would delineate the authority of the different branches of government, talking about executive, legislative, and judicial. And this would cause kind of a chaotic overlap of the separations of powers. But I think the thing here is that just because this has been the normality, the precedent established by the Justice Department, it doesn't mean it's the status quo or, like I said earlier, it's etched in stone. 
because there are lawyers that say this is BS. And that actually, if you look at what the founders said, if they actually thought the president was shielded from prosecution, it would have been in the Constitution as some form of a provision. And basically, they didn't. And they left it up to Congress to impeach a president. But also this omittance of saying the president is shielded from prosecution could mean that maybe it's possible. And also, we have to remember that the founders truly believed in the fundamental principle that nobody's above the law. And I think that is something important to note here. And the other interesting example here, do you guys remember Ken Starr? He was, what was it, the special counsel that investigated Bill Clinton in the 90s involving the Monica Lewinsky stuff, you know, the White House intern. Oof. Um, and... In 98, anyways, he actually had his own analysis of this question because, of course, we have to remember both political parties, when they're in power, they, they hire a, or they appoint a special counsel. They want to find a way to get around this, right? And anyways, Ken Starr did conduct his own analysis of this, and he actually indicated that he didn't think that this memo was legally binding. And I don't think a lot of scholars actually think it's, it's legally binding. It's just kind of been the status quo. And so the interesting thing is, is that obviously Starr didn't indict Clinton. And at the same time, though, his office did think they had the authority to do so. So this is kind of one of those things where maybe you just don't want to cause chaos, ruffle anyone's feathers. But a lot of people think it's total BS, this entire idea of the president being above the law. Now, getting back to Donald Trump, I think it it's more severe because this is a guy who understands the vitriol and anger of his base, and he has become kind of their martyr, kind of their avatar of fighting the elites. And he never he never holds any punches when talking about force and violence and vitriol. So now you have his legal team arguing a standard that unless he's impeached, he's immune. If we were in normal political times, I think I'd be willing to at least entertain that argument more so. But after January 6th and hearing Trump talk about retribution for his political adversaries, it's kind of troubling. And you wonder, of course, these are all hypotheticals, right? Of course, his lawyer, Sewer, Sower, was kind of lured into this whole hypothetical about SEAL Team 6 assassinating political rivals under the permission of the president. And so, of course, this is a hypothetical. But if this sets a precedent, we know what Trump said he wants to do. And in the words of Nikki Haley last night, when autocrats say what they want to do, we should believe them. So, I would just say the president should not be above the law. In different times, yeah, you don't want to cause chaos, disrupt the, the executive branch, because we have to remember that the executive is not just the president, right? It's a myriad of cabinets, bureaucrats, organizations, thousands of employees. You guys catch my drift. You don't want internal chaos, but you also don't want a president advocating for political violence and then able to get away with it scot-free. So anyways... It is, it is troubling to me. I, I know it probably gets tiring to some listeners that I talk about this so frequently, 
But we have to talk about it. We, we genuinely do, because the quiet part, or it wasn't even quiet in 2016, then he was just tongue-in-cheek saying he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose support, but now he has a legal team trying to advocate for his immunity to maybe, maybe lighting the match on another January 6th type of situation. So, dark stuff. But anyways, that'll do it. Hey, the episode's a little longer than I thought. I thought it'd be shorter, but you guys know I when I get ranting, I get ranting. So anyways... You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Adios.